There are two things that make a preacher want to preach. Number one is having a crowd full of people to speak to. Number two is having good singing prior to the lesson. And then that just makes you want to preach a real long time. (laughs) This evening's lesson is going to be about the mouth and about the tongue. As Brother Steve has already indicated, I'd like to begin with the idea of the theme. The idea of the theme is thinking out of the box. That's important if you're talking about the box being the world. You see, the world wants to put us in its box. The world wants us to act like it acts, say things like it says, do things like it does, and now as Christians you've got to learn to think out of that box. But I do want to caution you, do not think outside the book. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to Apollos, myself and Apollos, for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think beyond the things that are written. So don't think outside the book. Think outside the box. And then this lesson is on the use of the tongue or the mouth. I like the way when Paul wrote Titus, he said, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is of the opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. When we get through, I hope it is your goal, it is your desire, it's your plan to make sure that you live such good lives that no one can say anything bad about you or about the way that you conduct your life. Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about the source. If bad language comes out of our mouth, or good language comes out of our mouth, what is the source of that? Very, very important. Number two, I want to talk about some symptoms. If we're saying something is the source, then we're going to have to talk about the symptoms to diagnose the problem. And then number three, we want to talk about the solution. For just a few minutes, many want to treat the symptoms sometimes rather than to eliminate the disease. When you go to people and they say, well, my nose is running. Well, do you want something to stop that? Or do you want to just treat the symptom that you're having? Someone says, I've got a toothache. Do you want him to just give you something to deal with the pain for right now? Or do you want to deal with the real problem? You see, the truth is, to change a person is to change their behavior. If I really want to take someone and really make a difference in their life, it is not just to say, don't use bad language. It is to take that person and change that person's life by changing who they are on the inside. For just a few minutes, I want us to talk about the role of the heart before it comes out the mouth. Let's go to the Old Testament with me. I encourage you that all the scriptures are going to be on the screen, but I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them with you, 
some of you young folks, it may be your cell phone, maybe your iPad, or if not, there's a few Bibles in front of you. These are important verses. In fact, they're going to be the most important as we go through the lesson. Solomon writes, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There are some things that require us to give a lot of effort to it. There are some things that you can take or leave. But your heart is something that's so important because out of it comes all the issues of life. How you'll live, how you'll talk, and if we don't take care of our spiritual hearts, then we've got to realize we've got a real spiritual heart disease. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 23. Solomon is going to go further and he's going to talk about the heart. And here's what he says. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. You see, the heart is what is going to control what comes out of your mouth. And if you don't take care of your heart, you don't address the heart, you don't address the core of who you are, then it's really all for vain to talk about what comes out of your mouth. Third one, the scripture reading for tonight. I want to go back to that passage in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. I want you to know what prompted this. There are people who were saying things about Jesus and about what he was doing. And some of the people did not understand how the Lord was addressing the use of their tongue. And so he put it so simply, I don't think anybody really needs help to understand this. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That says that whatever you are saying is coming from your heart. And so if your heart is bad, your language is going to be bad. If your heart is good, your language is going to be good. So the source is really the heart. Well, now let's talk about the symptoms for just a second. I know you say, well, you, you just said many people want to treat the symptoms rather than treating the disease. But do you know that symptoms are used for healthcare professionals to be able to diagnose a disease that a person might have. For instance, you may be able to go into the doctor and say, I'm having difficulty breathing. And you may say to your doctor, I'm having some real strong pains in my chest and I'm feeling a little faint, a little lightheaded. The doctor begins to diagnose the possible causes for that. Do you realize, spiritually speaking, as we start seeing some of these symptoms, you can start saying, okay, I know there's a problem there. Well, for just a few minutes, let's talk about vulgarity, profanity, and euphemisms. 
You see, to be vulgar or to be profane is to take something that is holy, something that is sacred, and treat it as if it is common. You know, there's a, a name for God. And God's name is to be respected. It's holy and reverend. And for me to take it and treat it as if it's just a common word shows I don't respect it. Sometimes people use euphemisms. I want to deal with that a little bit more. Some people have a potty mouth. At least that's what it was called when I was a kid. I don't know what you guys call it today. I'll give you an illustration of it, though. Several months ago, Coretta and I went on our vacation, and we flew from Nashville to Miami. And while we were flying, there were two ladies in front of us, professional ladies, attractive, young. You might think that they were people who would have the ability to express themselves with any kind of language they wanted to, because obviously they're educated to be in the position they were in. But to put it like I heard as a child, they could cuss like a sailor. They used vulgarity and profanity, all that flight, all the way from Nashville to Miami. The picture that I began with, a woman with a soap in her mouth, that wouldn't have been enough soap for these women. They may have been young, they may have been attractive, but they were really ugly. Because of the profanity. They've got a problem. They just don't know it. Let me point out to you that you can go in the Bible and you can see people like this. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 5. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, David has already committed a sin and he's suffering the consequences of it. And there is the descendants of Saul who are using this opportunity to embarrass David. And Samuel writes, Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man of the family of Saul whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came cursing continuously. You think about that. Every other word coming out of his mouth was some sort of cursing toward David. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 74. When you go to Matthew 26, our Lord has been arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. He's been taken to the house of Annas very likely also the same compound where Caiaphas would have been located since both of them had served as high priest. And as Jesus arrived there, there were a number of people and Peter got in to see what was going on. When Peter got in, the first thing that happens is there are people point out and say, you're one of his associates. Peter said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not. The second time, surely you are one of them. Oh, no, no, not, not me, not me. And then you get to verse chapter, seven, chapter 26, 74. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. 
Immediately the rooster crowed. Do you know what? When Peter cursed and sweared, that satisfied them that he was not a follower of Jesus. When a person goes out and they use vulgar, foul, profane language, they're proclaiming to the world, I am not a follower of Jesus. And you can convince people of that. When I go to the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing a church. And he understands that the church there is facing the immorality of the world. And he says to them in verse 29 of chapter 4, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Don't let anything bad come out of your mouth. Drop down to chapter 5, verse 4, just a few verses later. He says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. If you are going to be a Christian, you can't let... These kinds of filthiness, these kinds of coarse jesting come out of your mouth. They're just totally incompatible. Well, what kind of things do people say besides profanity? You see, some people think, oh, I know he's dialed in on those young people and the bad language that they use, but adults... I've heard many adults use the foul language... But you can also be a gossip and a busybody and a talebearer. If you go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is looking at those who are widows. He recognizes that in the world you will have some people who will be widows who are older and some who are younger. Those who were younger were those capable of still bearing children, still rearing a family. And he says, I want those widows to marry. The reason why Paul was concerned with those widows marrying is because of the potential pitfall. And he says in verse 13, And besides, they learn to be idle wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not. You see, it's easy for a person to become a gossip, to say, have you heard what they did? Have you heard? And you start bearing tales about them, and it becomes embellished, and pretty soon it doesn't even rec- resemble the truth. See, under the Old Testament system, when God gave the law to the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16, He said, You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Don't be a talebearer. Chapter 11 and verse 13 of Proverbs, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Someone comes to you and tells you, they pour out their heart to you, and they tell you 
I'm having this problem. I'm struggling with this in my life. What are you going to do? Are you going to throw it to the wind and tell everybody, be a talebearer? Or are you going to conceal the matter and respect that person's struggle and try to help them with it? In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul was writing about people who were teaching false things and about what that would do within a congregation, how it would create strife and contentions. And then he gets to the point in verse 4, he is proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. To the point where a person says, now I didn't see him do this. But I believe that he must be guilty of this or must be guilty of that. Evil suspicions is when you start talking about people and you don't know what you're talking about. Then there's the use of the tongue deceit, which in reality is nothing more than lying. If you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Because Peter is trying to help Christians who are suffering for their faith. One of the temptations that people have is to be deceitful and say things that are not true. And he said, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Lies. You see, when you start talking about somebody, we think about the profanity. We may think about the gossip. But you've got to think about also what comes out of many people's mouths are just plain old lies. Being deceitful. I want you to notice a couple passages and then we're going to notice one more with this. Flattery is... A form of deceit. You see, flattery is when somebody tells you something good about you, and then once they get behind your back, they don't say that. You know, the, the old compliment, Oh, you look so pretty today. And just as soon as she walks out of the earshot, did you see that gaudy-looking outfit that she was wearing? You give flattery, it's a false compliment. In Proverbs 7 and verse 21, you have the strange woman. She's trying to entice, she's trying to allure. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Many a young man and many a young woman have been told, oh, I love you. You're the love of my life. When in reality, that wasn't the desire that they had. Jude verse 16 says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. That's why people flatter you. They want to get something on you. They want to take an advantage of you. So 
you see these symptoms start developing. But see, people do that with God. Brother Steve led us in several songs. We praise you, O God. We adore you. We love you. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, some people can sing lies and deceit just like they can speak a lie or deceit. And they can even try to do that with God. The truth is God knows when a lie is being told. So I see symptoms now. I see profanity. I see gossip and tale-bearing. I see lying and deceit. And I also can see people advocating sinful practices. Well, what do you think? What do you think about a number of these issues? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about drinking and drug use? What do you think about extramarital sex? What do you think about et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, I don't think it's that bad. You tell your friend, oh, go ahead and go on to the dance. You know, it's them old folks that think it's crazy. But you just go enjoy yourself. Do you realize when you use your mouth, you use your tongue for that, what you're saying from the inside of your heart is, I don't respect God. And I don't respect His will. In Romans 1 and verse 32, Paul is summarizing three times where he says, and for this reason God gave them up to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not fitting. And you get to verse 32, and here's the way he puts it. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You mean it's wrong for me to give my voice, to give my word, to approve of things that God condemns? Yes, that's correct. If that's what's coming out of my mouth, that's a symptom I've got a problem in my heart. Let me deal with something which is part of this generation. Social media. Yeah, a few of us old folks are on Facebook. Few others use Twitter, Instagram. I think it's Snapchat. I don't never say that. <laughs> Where people communicate. I have seen in the lobby of the church here people sitting next to each other in the room texting each other. That's a part of this generation. You don't speak to somebody anymore. You text them. You, you talk to them. Social media is going to be an identifying mark of this generation. Let me tell you something. Profanity is still profanity even if it's given in abbreviations. I'm not going to put in front of you some of the ones that are used because I don't even want to conjure the thought in your mind. One of the ones that is used so often 
And I talked to someone about that this afternoon is the letters OMG. Oh my God. Those three words are found in the Bible. But they are found when a person is pouring out their heart to the Almighty with respect, begging God's blessing upon my life. They were never meant to be used to describe a person's surprise at what someone else has done. Psalm 89 and verse 7 ought to be marked in your Bible. It ought to be highlighted in yellow. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. His name is holy. It is high. And God doesn't want you to use His name in vain. Whenever you use God's name in vain, He knows about it. God knows every key click that goes on Facebook, on Twitter, and on any of these others. And profanity is profanity even if it's given as an abbreviation. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he told them in verse 21, Prove all things. Hold fast what is good. In verse 22, Abstain from every form of evil. Let me suggest to you young people, and you older people too, when you post something on your internet, you need to make sure that it is godly and it is holy. And if you post something that is ungodly, that is unholy, there's a symptom that there's something wrong with your heart. You see, we talked about the source But you see the symptoms. And is there anyone here who would deny that it's there? Would you be willing tonight for us to put your Facebook post up on the screen? If it would embarrass you tonight to put your Facebook post up on the screen, you need to deal with your heart. You need to work on that. Which brings me to the solution. What you think is what you say. Listen to Titus 1 and verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. You see, pure people don't have to worry about what they're going to post because everything that's in their heart is pure, it's good, it's holy. But if you're doing bad things, it says your mind and your conscience is defiled. Your mind is the same thing as your heart. Your conscience is something that can be seared, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, 
to the point where you no longer have any feeling. No longer bothers you. The solution involves your thinking. Let's go to Philippians 4 and verse 8. This is another passage that I think is genuinely helpful. It's one which we all need to ponder upon. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What are you thinking about? What is your mind obsessed with? He says, think on these kind of things. You've got to try to tame your tongue. You've got to control what you say. Listen to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 26 and then chapter 3 and verse 8. In James 1 and verse 26, James says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You don't make any effort to try your religion's not worth a thing to you. If going to church and listening to the sermons and going to the Bible class and listening to what is taught and singing the songs and praying the prayers, if this doesn't change your heart, your religion's not worth anything to you. But you go over to chapter 3 and verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You see, what's going on in people's minds is they're saying, well, I can't ever control it, and so I'm going to use that as an excuse to not try. The reason why James put this in this context was to tell us, don't believe that you have it mastered. No one of us should think that we are beyond or above the need to try to control our tongues. Whether you're old or young, you've got to make some kind of effort. Listen to David in Psalm verse, chapter 39, verses 1 through 3. I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace from good and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue, folks. It's tough some days. People say things and we feel as if we must respond. And generally, when we respond, we do not respond well. When anger is controlling us, when irritation is within us, then when we speak, we generally say the wrong things. 
Going back to James, he says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Make some effort to control your mouth. Number two, practice the golden rule. Harsh words hurt. David would write in Psalm 52 too, Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. They'll cut you. Psalm 64 verse 3, Who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot arrows. Bitter words. I could ask you, how many of you have ever been hurt by what someone said either to you or about you? I would imagine most of us can say it hurts. Well, if somebody has hurt you, why do you want to turn around and inflict harm and hurt upon them? Realize that what you say and how you say it is a powerful weapon or tool. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So what do I do? I really think here's the key. You love God and you love your neighbor. That's really what the golden rule is all about. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. You should not covet. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, if I really love you, I'm not going to curse you. If I really love you, I'm not going to gossip about you. If I really love you, I'm not going to lie to you. And if I love God, I'm not going to mistreat His name. Our choices tonight to be stubborn or surrender. You know, I understand what stubbornness is. I've had my bouts of that, as I think we all have. Where we dig in and we say, no, I'm not going to deal with this problem. That's your problem, not mine. Or we can surrender and say, I'm going to fashion, live my life the way God would have me to live it. Paul would put it like this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If the Lord lives in your heart, his word is going to be in your mouth. If the devil lives in your heart, the cursing, the swearing, the vulgarity, the lying, the deceit, is going to come out of your mouth. 
You know, we come to the end of each service and we extend the Lord's invitation. It's His. It's not ours. And the Lord's invitation is to those who are not Christians. You can be forgiven of every sin that you have ever committed if you believe that Jesus is a Christ you repent of those sins, you confess His name, and then you're baptized. And when you're baptized, those sins are washed away. You may have been a liar. You may have been a cheat. You may have been a gossiper. You may have been the person who says the most cursed words that could ever be said. You can come forward tonight. You can be baptized, and those sins will be washed away. Now, for those of us who are Christians, already obeyed the gospel, sometimes, like Peter, we find ourselves having done things that truly embarrass us. When that rooster crowed the third time, Peter went out and wept bitterly. He knew he had embarrassed the Lord. Sometimes we embarrass the Lord and He's looking for penitence in us. He's looking for us to say, I'm sorry. If you need us to pray with you tonight, we will. Will you come while we stand and sing?